Now we come to the most important part of this service, and that is the Word of God. And one of the reasons that we are moving forward with this vision is, first of all, God told us to do it. But I believe that we are coming into difficult days in our own nation for Christians. But that's all right. Christians have always thrived where it's the hottest. We must build this church because we must have a safe place. Because as our world gets more adversarial toward Christianity, we as Christians need a place to hear the word of God. We need a place to pray. We need a place where we can be strengthened in our faith. And may we be that haven for God's people. May we be the church. You know, as Ephesians says, the dwelling place of God in the spirit where his spirit dwells. And so this morning, as we open the word of God, I want to give you my title. And I have a number of scriptures that will be within this message today. But this is what the Lord put on my heart. I've titled this message, The Believer's Battle, Our Ally. The Believer's Battle, Our Ally. Now, you're in a battle. We're all in a battle. But you have an ally. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about our ally in this, in this battle. Father, thank you for JR's prayer. We receive that prayer. And we ask your blessing on this message. And to every heart, may every heart receive this message today. Not the resistant soil. Not the stony, stony shallow soil. Not the thorny soil. No, no. I'm asking you the good soil. That this will go deep. It will grip us. It will grip us. It will change us. It will transform us. It will grow us. It will move us forward in your kingdom. That is what we pray for. And we take authority over the enemy who would steal the seed. He hates the seed. No, no. Not, not out of my life. Not out of my family. He will not steal this day or this seed, let it accomplish everything that you've determined. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. amen. The believer's battle, our ally. Now the scripture teaches that there will be, get this word, an intensification of warfare in these last days. Have you, have you sensed the intensification of warfare? Even our own land, I've sensed it. It's like an intensification of warfare that's going on. It's going on in the culture. There's a tremendous struggle going on in the culture today. You, you sense it in the church even. And maybe I'm a little more aware of that in, in the church around the nation. As I read articles, as I listen, I can sense there's a tremendous warfare for the church in the nation, the true church in the nation. We sense it in politics this, this tug of war that's going on. We, we sense it in families. Some of you are experiencing this intensity of this battle, of this warfare that's taking place. But also think it's taking place, the intensity in our own hearts, in our own lives, in, in lives. The enemy, fiery darts, this intensification to try to pull us away from that first love, that, that first devotion to Jesus. It's very intense. And it may get more intense. I don't know. But we need to be ready for this. 
Now, John, whose, whose gospel we're studying on Wednesday evening, he wrote another book. It's a strange book. It's a book of symbols and signs, and it was given so strangely in vision form. And John was given something where that the Lord pulled the veil back and allowed him to look and to see this intense warfare, this intense battle that's going on. And it's going on, it was going on in his day, it was going on before its day, it's going on in our day. There's coming a day when that battle will be over, but it's not over yet. I like to read that. It says in Revelation 12, 7, and war broke out in heaven. This is before John's day. Michael and his angels fought it with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. And they did not prevail. You hear that? They did not prevail, nor was any place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice in, in, saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren, who accuses them before God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him, overcame Satan, and all of his minions. Why? How? By the blood of the Lamb. There's only one way to overcome Satan. And that's by the blood of the Lamb. And by the word of their testimony, they did not shrink back, love their lives even so much as shrink back from death. I used that text last week. I preached from that text in verse 11 and talked about the martyrs. But notice this. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants. Notice, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. I think there are many today, and I, I truly believe that, there's many today who have kind of a mistaken view of what it actually means to follow Jesus Christ. Jesus actually spoke about this mistaken view This misunderstanding, and and by the way, I would say this, have you ever noticed how clear Jesus made his message? Jesus didn't do what a lot of people do today. Jesus didn't say, well, you know what, I'm going to kind of tell them all the good stuff about what it means to follow me, and I'm going to tell them all the hard stuff later. No, Jesus from the very outset said, I offer you a cross. I offer you suffering. I offer you pain if you want to follow me. There will be suffering. John and John and others said, can we drink the cup? And Jesus said, you will indeed drink the cup. But Jesus knew that some people weren't really getting the message. And, and I referred to it in my prayer. He said, those who receive the seed on stony places. Now in Israel, there would be a, a, sto- a stone layer and there'd be like a little layer of dirt on top of it. There was no root. In other words, the roots couldn't go down very deep, and they would get hot very quick in that arid sun, and it would scorch it. And it says here, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but there's no, he has a root in himself. In other words, it's a very shallow experience. 
That's what it's at. It's a very, I would say it this way. It's not only shallow, it's a short-lived experience. But notice, but he endures only for a while. Why would he only endure for a while? Because here's the misunderstanding. For when, for when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. So here's what we have. We have a person here who doesn't understand that embracing the gospel is to embrace a warfare. Hmm? When we say yes to Jesus, we're embracing the battle. We, we enter the battle. What is this warfare? This warfare, for all of us, involves a warfare with sin. Everyone say sin. It involves sin. It's a warfare with sin. It's a warfare with self. It's, it's us. One of our greatest battles will be with your own heart. But it's also a battle with, with a society around us that is hostile to Christ. It's hostile to his gospel. And it's hostile, hostile to his kingdom. But, he, but the fact is this. Every believer is involved and engaged in a battle. And that battle will, will culminate in the coming of a new kingdom, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were talking about the, I was talking about the kingdom of God this morning briefly with someone here in this sanctuary. The kingdom of God. We, we are in the kingdom now. We are, we, we have been, we, you know, we're in chapter 3 of John, and, and I'm so excited about the gospel of John. Isn't that a marvelous gospel? And I'm supposed to be at district council on Wednesday evening. But I want to be in the gospel of John with you on Wednesday evening. You know, I could pass it to Jason or McKenzie or someone else. But I want to be in John chapter 3. I want to be there with Nicodemus. I want to be there with John 3.16. I want to be there because it's an amazing gospel. We're in the kingdom now because we've been born again. But we're yet we're not, the kingdom is not fully manifested yet. And during this probationary period, we've got to fight. We've got to keep faith. See, all Christians were called to live in the light of the imminent return of Jesus. This is how Christians have always lived. The scripture says, don't you know what time it is? Now is the time to awake out of sleep. For now your salvation is nearer now than when you first believed. The night is far spent. In other words, this age started 2,000 years ago. The night. The night. This age has, is a dark age. And it's been going on for 2,000 years. And now we're at the other side of this age. The clock is ticking down. It's, it's, it's 1159, and it's clicking down. It's about, we're about to move into a new kingdom, and he says, therefore, we have to do something. We have to warfare. We're in a battle. He said this, cast off the works of darkness, because they seek to re-encroach upon your life and, and put on the armor of light. You've got a warfare. You've got a battle. We've got to keep our eyes on his imminent, imminent return. I think what the Lord wants to do this morning, he wants to remind us of our responsibilities as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as a part-time soldier. And I know they have the reserves, but I'm talking about 
in its purest form in battle. There's no such, when there's a battle going on, there's no such thing as a part-time soldier. Every soldier is in full-time service. The scripture teaches us we must endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Notice this, no one, no one, no one engaged in warfare entangles themselves in the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him to be a soldier. No part-time soldiers. The Lord enlisted you. No one in the military would think, hey, well, you know, I can't make this war. No, I've enlisted you. I've called you. Uncle Sam needs you. He wants you. Come on, right? No, Jesus wants you. Now notice this. In the book of Ephesians, Paul gives us a little more insight about this intensity of warfare that's going on all around us. You've already acknowledged with an amen and a nod of a head, we sense this warfare in our families. We sense it in the culture. You may sense it on your job, this pressure. Now listen, Paul identifies this through the Spirit, and he gives us some information of where the battle is. And I want to tell you, it is a spiritual battle. There, there is more going on than what you see with your physical eyes. There's an incredible warfare going on all around us. You see the evidence. I can't see it, but I see the evidence of it. I see the result of it. And there's, there's many that are not winning this battle. But notice what Paul says. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in, his, in the power of his might. Literally, his mighty supernatural power put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Sometimes you just, you stand and you're surrounded with this armor. And it's intense. It's in the day of battle. You say, when is that? Now, we're in the day of battle. This age is the day of battle. We are in the battle. And then he gives the armor, of course. Stand there for her, having gird your waist, uh, girded your waist with the truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. There's, there's no attack of the enemy that cannot be won over and thwarted with God's faith. With which you are able to quench the fiery dart, all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God. Now look at this passage in Ephesians. There are three things here. I will only get to one, but I'll just mention the three. When I look at that passage... I see three things. First of all, I see our ally there. You know, when we fought World War II, 
We had some, we, had, we were a good ally, but we also had allies. We weren't fighting alone. You know, you're not fighting alone in this battle. You may feel alone. That's a lie from the pit of the enemy. I want, you know, you are not alone. You're never alone. You are fully equipped with the promises, with the power of God, with the peace of God, with the presence of God, with the people of God with you. But we have an ally. But we also have an adversary. There's an adversary. He's real. He's not a figment of your imagination. He's not some medieval something that someone came up with. There are forces, and I read to you, I read to you, look at verse 12 said, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. You don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What are, what are we struggling against? What, where's the intensity of the battle? Principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness. What is that? Those are persons without bodies. You ever thought about it that way? That's what demons are. Persons, personalities, they are real without bodies. But they are real. You need to understand, this battle is real. Satan is real. There are personalities, there are forces of darkness that, see, that are warring against the church. They, they war against even lost people, all humanity. There is a war that's going on. There's a battle. But the believer is engaged in a battle. And there's an ally, and there's an adversary, and there's also armor that is completely sufficient to help us get in victory. I don't have time to talk about all that. I want to focus on our ally today. In verse 10, we have our ally. If you put verse 10 back up, we have an ally. Say that with me. We have an ally. You have an ally. It doesn't, what, what battle are you facing? You know, something we all have that no one wants is problems. Everyone has problems. But we have an ally who's a problem solver. We have a Savior who can save us from our sins, but he can save us from everything. You know, we, we, we saves our sin. What do you, was he limited for, for that? No, he can save us from poverty. He can save us from sickness. He can save us from confusion. He can save us from everything because what? His name is Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. He's our Savior. Look at verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. The Lord. The Lord. Remember they were fighting. They fought under the banner. Jehovah Nisi. The Lord's our banner. He's our ally. He's our, he's our God, and, and we're fighting in his... We're not fighting in our own strength. If you're fighting in your own strength, you are losing. But if you'll, if you'll put on strength, come on, put on strength, church. The Lord is your strength. He is your ally. Now, some things I want to say about our ally. Some things I want to say about this battle, the believer's battle, our ally. One, things that we, one of the things that we really need to understand is this. We need to make sure that we're on his side, the Lord Jesus. Very important that we understand that we are on his side. It's very important because he's not coming to fight your battle. He'll fight your battle if you're in his battle. I'll clarify that. You say, well, I don't know what that means. No, see, we have, an, we have an illustration of this. We have a clear, I love biblical illustrations you know, I like to hear people's story, but more than anything, I like to read the stories of the Bible because they clarify everything in New Testament. And we have a, we have a picture of this when, when God's people are about to move into the promised land. They're about to go into the promised land. They're about to move in to all that God has promised. 
And Joshua's outside on the plains, and he sees this man, and he's dressed in his warfare gear. He's dressed in uniform. He has a sword drawn. And Joshua, I'm sure he's going, who is this guy? And Joshua said, are you for us? Are you for us? Are you for our enemies? Who are you for? Are you for us? Are you for our enemies? And he said, neither one. What? Neither one? That wasn't even the question, really. (laughs) Let me ask this again. Are you for us? Are you for our enemies? Neither one. And notice what he says. And it came to pass that Joshua was by Jericho. Lift up his eyes. Behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn by his hand. And Joshua said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, no. Nope. Wrong question, Joshua. Joshua, you got to know whose team you're on because I'm not fighting your battle. I'm not fighting your enemy's battle, but I am fighting a battle. Notice this. But as the commander of the Lord, of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua does the right thing. He fell on his face to the earth. He worshiped. What does my Lord, your servant, uh, want your servant to do? He said, as the commander of the Lord's army, Joshua, he said to Joshua, take off your sandal of your foot for the place where you stand is holy ground. And he did so. Here's what I want want you to see. The Lord is not here to fulfill your agenda. He's not going to let you and I take his name and apply it to our selfish self-interest. What the Lord wants to know is this. He said to Mary, what does your concern have to do with me? He said to Peter, he said, you mind the things of men and not the things of God. What I want you to see is this. The only way that the Lord is on our side is if we're on his side. We've got to get on his side. You understand that? I've seen it happen for years. People are tagging Jesus on anything. And he said, I have no part of that. The Lord said, get in my kingdom and start fighting my gospel battle. Get behind me. I'm leading you in triumph to Corinthians 14 says, notice this there again, the hammer this. We have an ally, but he's fighting a very specific battle. It's not our battle of self-interest. It's not an earthly battle. It's a heavenly battle. Seek ye first. Come on, the kingdom. The kingdom. Are we doing God's, are we really doing gospel work? Are we taking gospel and trying to make it our best life now? No, we better get our minds on heavenly things. Are you for us or for our enemies? I'm for God. Notice, the Lord is on our side only if we're on his side. Here's another illustration. Chronicles 15. Now the Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa. And he said to him, hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you're with him. Got it? The Lord's with you as you're with him. Look at this. If you forsake him, or if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. It's like this, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for for good to those, to those, to those. Everyone, no, 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 those, to those. Come on, to those. Who? Come on. To those who do what? Who love God. Who love God and are called according to his purpose. 
We have an ally, but you have to make sure that you're behind him and fighting the battle that he's fighting. And it is a gospel battle. It is an eternal battle. And it has to do with souls. That brings us to this question. How do we get on his side? How do we get on his side? Well, I know this. We don't get on his side by keeping the law of Moses. Today, Jewish law cannot save you. Jesus came and abolished the law. He fulfilled it. Filled it up. And then he set it aside. It's like a schoolmaster. In Galatians, it's very clear. In Galatians 2.16, last phrase, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. Law of Moses won't save. I was, I was in a hospital in Pennsylvania one time trying to minister to a Jewish person. It's one of the hardest things I ever did. There was like a blindness. There was like a barrier that I could not get across. The fact is the law of Moses is like a mirror that reveals sin, but it cannot cure sin. Not by the law of Moses. I can't get on God's side by the works, works done in self-righteousness. This is one of the greatest deceptions that the human heart has believed. You say, how do, why do you say that? Listen to me. I challenge you to take this test. Talk to 20 people, 20 lost people. Talk to 20 lost people and just ask them this question. When, do you, when you die, do you believe that you're going to heaven? And every one of them will say yes. They can be a mass murderer. It don't matter. They're going to heaven. And then you ask them this next question. Why do you think you're going to heaven? And here's what they're going to say. Because I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Every single one of them will say that. The greatest day of my life was when I found out I was not a good person. In fact, I was a rotten person. I was a wicked person. I was an enemy of God. You say, well, how in the world could that be good news? Because that's the only kind of people Jesus saves is sinners. And when I found out I was a sinner, then I found out he's the Savior. And I said, Jesus, save me from my wickedness. I'm not a good person. Romans 3 slays us all. Poison of aspen in our mouth. There's no good in us. John said this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Self-righteousness will damn more people than all the other wickedness put together. There's a self-righteousness in people. They think they're good, and we're not good. We're sinners, and we're separated from holy God, and that's why Jesus came. He's the ladder that we can get back to God. We can gain righteousness, but it's, it's Jesus' righteousness that he offers his gift. Not my own self-righteousness. Proverbs says this, There is a generation that is pure in their own eyes, and yet they are not washed from their filthiness. How do I get on God's side? Not by the law of Moses, not by the ceremonial laws, not by rule keeping, not by self-righteousness. There's only one way, and that is this. It's by grace. It's by grace through faith. There's one way. There's one way. There's one avenue. 
There's one way, and that's by grace. I'm saved. I'm saved by grace through faith. That is the kindness of God through Christ. That's the grace of God, the mercies of God in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only, one anyone, the only way that anyone will ever be saved is by God's mercy. Fall on his mercy. Fall on his grace. Once, we, once we're on Satan's side, remember that? Paul said this, you were, you were made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Notice, in whom we once walked according to the course of the world. This is what we used to be. We used to be on Satan's side. We walked according to the course of the world. The, the, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all conducted ourselves, how? In the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desire of the flesh and of the mind, and by nature children of wrath. But something glorious took place. We went from Satan's side to God's side. He said, when did that happen? The moment a person is saved, truly saved, the moment a person is saved, the moment the grace of God is applied, the moment a person calls on God, the moment the blood of Jesus is applied to that person, they go from Satan's side to God's side. He says this in Colossians. He transferred us or he delivered us from the power of darkness and he conveyed us into the son of his love. What mercy. Satan has no part of my life anymore. Satan has no part of your life. We're not part of that kingdom anymore. That kingdom has a death sentence on it. And, he, and I read to you in Revelation, he knows he has a short time. His kingdom's going down, but the kingdom we're a part of now is going to last forever. Hallelujah. I mean, just think what we're doing here this morning, we're just getting started. We've got forever to do this together. We're going to live forever in the presence of holy God. Why? Because we got on God's side and we did it by faith and we did it through his grace and we did it because of his mercy. Now, quickly, are you on God's side? Okay. We have an ally in life. We have an ally in the battle. When you get on God's side in this battle, there are some incredible and amazing blessings that take place. The first one is all our, all our sins are forgiven that we've repented of. All repentant sin is forgiven. They're washed away. There's only one person that has the power to forgive sin. He told the man let down by the floor, he said, son, your sins be forgiven. The religious guy said, who can forgive sin but God alone? Right. Come on, right? <laughs> Who can make sin but God alone? Maybe, maybe those guys, if they would just have been smart, maybe this is God right here. And he said that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. I said, you take up your mat and walk. And he rose up, and that man walked out of there. Why? The same one that heals, it's the same one that has the power to forgive our sins. And he washed out. He took your sins away. Stop thinking about those sins. Stop talking about those sins. You may use them in a testimony every now and then, but do that lightly. Glorify the Savior. Forgive our sin, all repentant sin. And then here's another thing. When I'm on God's side, I'm, I'm his child. I'm not just an empl- like some employee in the military for him. I mean, listen, staffs or, or drill sergeants are not cuddly folks. Come on. They're tough. <laughs> you know, they're not going to coddle you and cuddle you. But let me tell you, but when you're, when you're God's child... When you, the love of God takes away all that fear. You're, you're, the spirit in you cries, Abba, Father, in this battle, I'm not just some employee soldier, but I'm fighting as a child of God. My father's leading the battle. You're God's child now. Abba, Father. And as God's children, I want you to see this. Romans 8, 28. Here's what I want you to see. 
in this battle of life, in this intense struggle, as we reach toward heaven, final salvation, here's what I want you to see. As God's child, he is working out his plan in every one of us who walk in that plan. He's working it out. Look at this. I quote, for we know that all things work together for good to those that love God and those that are called according to his purpose. He's working on his plan. You may not understand it, but it's going to turn out good. It's, going to, it's good. Good's coming. Good's coming. You know, there's things we go through trials and we're, we don't know why we're going through this. And we, 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 we suffer and we want to give up. And then the next day we start again. And, and we, why, why this and why that? But I'm going to tell you according to the word of God, good is coming. Good is coming out. He's working out his good plan. And then as God's child on his side is this. He's predestined a glorious future for us in final salvation. Look at these great verses. For whom he foreknew. Now God foreknows. He doesn't, he doesn't um, predestine some for heaven and hell. He doesn't do that. He, he predestined a plan that everyone can go to heaven if they'll have faith in Christ. But those who... Those who will be saved, God knows that in foreknowledge. He knows everything. He knows everyone who will be saved. And he knew it in eternity past. And they're his children. And he's predestined that certain things would happen to those people. And no, notice this. He, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Don't judge me too hard yet. He ain't through. Gonna make us like Jesus. Hard for me to comprehend when I think about my own life, but he's going to do it. That we may be the firstborn among many brethren, moreover whom he predestined, he also called. Now, now we're in time. We, we, before we were in eternity past, this is what God planned, and then all of a sudden we heard the gospel call come in time. And then whom he called, he also justified. When I received the gospel, I was declared righteous and all sin was gone. And then whom he justified, he also glorified. Now we're all way, way in the future now. Now we're in heaven. I got a glorified body. You see it? I know it's hard, but anyway, hey. <laughs> we're glorified. Satan is defeated. I mean, we just, we just jumped all the way into eternity with that verse. We went from eternity past, into time, all the way in the future, and in the future, sin will be done with, sickness will be done with, struggle, this intense battle will be over, and we'll stand in his presence glorified like we were always meant to be, all because of Jesus. And not only that, nothing can stop our God, our ally, from fulfilling this. Notice verse 31. What shall we say then to, the, then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? You, you tell me anything in the entire universe that can be against our mighty God. Verse 32 says, his, his, in his love, he gave his son. Our ally gave his son for us. He didn't, he didn't even spare his own son. His son hanging on the cross in, in, in verse 32 says this, if he did that, how will he not provide you freely with all things? He'll give you everything you need to fulfill your earthly journey in his will. No one can condemn us. Verse, verse 33 and 4, no one can condemn those whom God has justified. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? God just, who's going to condemn? It's Christ who died. And from the words risen, even at the right hand of God, he makes intercession for us. So in other words, think about this. 
The one who has forgiven us, this is the logic here, the one who has forgiven us, the one who took our sins to the cross, the one who justified us, the one who wrote our name down in the Lamb's book of life, the one whose spirit lives in us that we cry, Abba, Father, he's the very one that is the judge. Who's going to judge us then? We're going to walk up there and he says, well, Joe, what are you doing here? You're not condemned. You're saved. Come on. Who's going to condemn us? Jesus, all judgment's committed to him. He already took our judgment. There is no judgment for us in that manner. It says he makes intercession for us. That literally means effective intercession. His intercession is having an effect on your life. It's giving you power. It's giving you grace. It's defeating the enemy. He's interceding for you. Wait before our great intercessor. Let him fill you with new grace. And then quickly, done. Nothing we will ever face in this life is stronger than our God. Now, as I land this, I just want to give you this. This is incredible. Some of the greatest, I mean, this, some have, some have said Romans 8 is the, Mount, is the Mount Everest of the Scripture, and I can't disagree with that. Romans 8, 35, look on the screen. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, as it is written for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter, yet in all of these things, right in the middle of them, in all the famine, in all the persecution, in all the pain, in all the heartache, in the very middle of that, a child of God is more than a conqueror through him who loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from God's love and God's care and God's tenderness in your life. There's not enough devils, demons, or darkness, or trouble, or trials that God cannot get to you. He can get to you. Nothing separates you from his love and care. Cast all your cares upon him. He cares for you. No matter where you are, his love can reach you. His care can reach you. And not only that, nothing can separate us from his presence. He said to those who believe on him, I've given the Holy Spirit to abide with you just on Sunday, just in the worship service. No. He abides with you forever. Come on, forever he abides with you. As you stand with me, please. Stephanie, would you, would you guys come? Thank you, Jesus. In life's battle, we have a divine, supernatural ally. And our God is with us in the battle. He's right there with you. I'm reminded of, of Psalms. Our God is a refuge and a strength. A very present help. In the time of trouble.